Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 107, Sandy McTeer Designs, recorded on September 1st, 2020. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I'm enjoying this weather. It's weird, but it's there have been some days in the 70s it's been very pleasant i will say like because you have to wear a mask when you go outside i do find that the cooler weather has made that a less horrible kind of experience so going on a walk with the baby and stuff is much easier now in the cooler weather totally is nice um so a couple things that i want to just mention before we get started the first is uh i have a bunch of live online classes the scan and cut classes keep selling out so i've added new um sections particularly of the canvas workspace and the um fabric cutting classes also my design boot camp five weeks of intensive learning is uh coming up so that's something that you can look into i'll of course put a link in the show notes or you can find it at juliebalzer.com membership is going gangbusters i just added a new feature uh this month september which is every month you get a new uh real-time video meaning instead of it being sped up or whatever it's the actual amount of time half an hour 45 minutes an hour six hours that it took me to make a piece of art people always want to see stuff in real time but the fun thing about that is that it disappears after the month so you have to make sure that you are a member in the classroom in order to be able to see that video so that's super fun anyway what is that's the sort of the new news in my thing for six hours no (laughs) okay well you're not the person who wants a real-time video and honestly the first one is about 25 minutes so and if it's not your thing then you just ignore it but a lot of people like to see you know real-time moments you can always zoom to the part that's interesting to you uh I'm, I'm actually often surprised when i taught a stamp carving class one of the first things that a student said is they wanted to see the stamp carving in real time and i thought okay because to me that seems like arduous and terrible but i understand that some people learn better from doing and that my learning style is not everybody's learning style and i think that's important to realize and to find the different ways that you can help people who learn differently from you i know that see so i would even say for example mom i know for a fact that your learning style is you can read something and it's in your brain 100 percent, right in the actual words on the page yeah you are that is how you learn and you've always learned and the good news about that is since that's how so many things are taught you are a person who has you know always done well in school and always been able to you know get your a and all that kind of stuff because that's the way you learn i also know that for me personally i actually learn better by doing and that is something that i have had to that i actually figured out in high school uh in in biology class when we had to make a model of a cell and it was the first time i understood anything in biology class because (laughs) i had had to make the model of the cell which meant i sort of understood it instead of looking at a picture in a book in which case i was kind of like okay so i find often now one of the ways that i force myself to learn is that i will doodle or draw which is doing something while i'm listening and i actually learn the thing that i'm listening better because i'm physically doing something so it's almost like i'm tricking myself 
into learning. And what happens is I end up looking at what I've drawn or sewn or painted, and I can immediately associate it with whatever it is that I just heard. There's a quilt that I made while I was listening to a book. And every time I look at it, I can think of the characters and the storyline from that book. It's just, I, I learn by doing. And I like everything else, you sort of need to know thyself. Okay. Okay, that's my advice for the I just, day. Uh, I think that's right. People learn in the way that things are taught in school have an advantage over people who don't. But I think it's the job of the school to make sure that people with alternative learning styles also get taught. I agree. And it is one of the things that I always try to emphasize in my classes, which is I say to people, this is the way that works for me. If there's a way that works better for you, rock on. Like we don't all have to be robots and do everything the same way. You know, you have to figure out what works for you. So um, speaking of things that work for you, we have a guest on today who is a instructor extraordinaire. So our guest today is Sandy McTeer. So Sandy McTeer is a published artist, designer, and international travel teacher. Sandy creates in a variety of mediums, from acrylics to oils and clay to colored pencils. She is a deco art helping artist, a deco art art ambassador. And in 2018, she became a deco art creative consultant, working closely with marketing and product development, product testing, demoing, and representing deco art at a variety of trade shows. She's also a dynasty brush brand specialist and a chart pack art ambassador. We are going to talk to her about all of that today also happens to be her 30th wedding anniversary to her uh, U.S. Air Force veteran husband, and she has three amazing boys. She is a mom of boys. I'm also a mom of boys, so welcome, Sandy. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're here, and I guess I should tell people that the way that I met Sandy is she came to Cleveland during the pandemic, brave soul that she is, uh, to film some uh, segments for Make It Artsy. And you were there representing deco art, yes? I was, yes. So one segment was deco art in Walnut Hollow, and then the other one was uh, deco art. But yes, that was exciting. And actually, I met you and your mom before oh, no. at Creativation. I believe ah. it's two years ago, and I was, um, I was doing a Facebook Live, and I uh, was videotaping you do a demo. Um, and then afterwards, um, sat and chatted with you and your mom for a minute. Well, there you go. I have a terrible memory. I apologize. That's quite all right. Those shows are so hectic and busy. It's, you know, you never know who you met or, you know, names or anything. So I totally get it. Well, let's talk about, because you do a lot of shows because of your relationship with Deco Art. Let's go back to sort of what, it, what is it that you do for Deco Art? How did that start? And how, how crazy is that in terms of being part of your life? Okay, so um, it just kind of happened through happenstance. I was um, I was a helping artist. I taught at painting conventions around the country, and um, they what is asked a helping me artist for people a who don't know. Artist. So, okay, so Stan Clifford, the owner of Deco Art, decided I believe it was in the late eighties, nineties, that he artists to be able to have his products for free to be able to go out there and educate people and teach people. So he started the Heart Helping Artists program so that teachers like myself that teach at conventions, teach um, internationally, travel teach, things like that, that we could request product from them for free. Um, and then also when things come out that are new, we get a box of goodies of all the latest and greatest products 
so that we can test them out, play with them, promote them, um, you know, have things published with them. And so I was a helping artist uh, 2013. Um, and then they asked me if I wanted to demo at a show. And so I did. And from there, it was, we demo at all the shows. <laughs> Not all of them, but the majority of the ones that I went to, they were asking me to demo out, which was really nice. And then... Um, well, if I Met may interject for one second, Sandy, okay. one of the things that I think is obviously one of the reasons they asked you to demo is you have a wonderful way of making what can seem very complicated, very reasonable and easy and approachable. Oh, thank you. I try. I, this, um, I honestly believe that everybody has a creative bone in their body and they just, if they say they can't draw a stick figure or they can't paint or create, um, with paper or clay or pencils or anything, they just haven't tapped into it yet. So I honestly believe that everybody can learn. Um, and that's kind of how I've always approached my um, art journey. That yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think that people have this idea that you're born no, either knowing how to draw or not. And I think it's a learned skill. And you do a really good job. I'm just thinking very specifically about the pumpkin project that you brought to make it artsy, which I just remember thinking how it's shadowing and shading is so hard for people and you were just like nope this is easy and i can show you how and you can do it and you know you just from, from mixing colors to how to hold the brush like all that stuff i think it's it's so nice how you just make people feel like they can do it well thank you again i i try and i believe that um sometimes we put too much pressure that it has to look exactly like that or you know we have to know all these techniques before we jump in and i certainly didn't i'm self-taught um, so, you know, I've taken a couple classes with a couple of instructors, but the majority of it's just trial and error and I love to play. Um, and so, and paint's just such a fun thing to play in. Um, and you know, like that pumpkin project showing them how easy it is to go from something that's totally flat on a board to look dimensional just by adding paint. It's amazing. So if you're self-taught, when did you, I mean, have you always been creative or did you get bitten by the artist bug sometime later? Um, Mrs. Mason was my sixth grade art teacher and she kind of was the one that um, lit that fire. And not that I, it was, it wasn't something I pursued. I was doing marketing in college. Um, I always just felt creative. I always felt like I could make something out of, you know, nothing. And um, I look back on some of my early work and whoa, it's really bad, but you know, you, you have to start somewhere. So I just always played and tried and, um, and just kept creating. And so over the years, it's, you know, even now I'll look at something I did last year and last year I thought it was really nice. And then I'll look at this year going, eh, I really need to kind of tweak that, you know, but that's just, it's all part of the artist's journey. So I think that's exciting. I think that if you looked back at work from a year or two ago and you were like, wow, I was so much better than like that, that would kind of be upsetting. <laughs> or that even if you just said, you know, I'm, I'm at the same place. Like I, so I sent out a weekly um, newsletter and one of the, what I was writing for this Friday's newsletter is a whole post of about uh, being an artist and discipline. And one of the things that I was talking about is the idea that like, it's okay if you don't want to improve. Like if you just want to do art occasionally and you're happy with where you're at, that's awesome, rock on. But if you want to sort of improve, I do think there needs to be some discipline in your art making. And by that, I just mean some sort of regularity, some sort of, sort of goal setting or something like that. Um, and I do think that what you see is that after a year, no matter where you are in your art career, if you've had some sort of discipline, you have improved. It's impossible not to. 
Absolutely. And, you know, and educating yourself. I, I'm not one to sit down and watch a lot of videos. I, you know, every now and then I'll look at YouTube or, um, and then Pinterest, same thing. I, sometimes that's just such a black hole. I get stuck in that. And, <laughs> and I, and because I'm a designer as well, I don't want my designs in any way, shape or form um, influenced heavily by somebody's work. So I'm real careful about what I look at. But I'm, I'm also a firm believer that if you kind of feel like you know everything now, then, you know, if if I feel like that, it's time for me to put my brushes up. You know, you can never know everything. And there's so much education and so many opportunities to learn from people like you and, um, you know, to do different things that are creative. And even if even if you're like, okay, my artist journey is just going to be for fun. If you keep at it and you're creating weekly, daily, your art is inevitably going to be better because you're continuing to hone in on that craft, whether it's something that you want to do as a business or just something you want to do for personal achievement. I agree. Cause I think we, you, the act of anything that you do repeatedly over and over, you find the shortcuts, you find the ways to do it better, you find the ways, you know, that make it easier, you discover the things, the tools, you have a better feel for stuff. It, it reminds me a little bit of, um, I'm sure you teach a lot of color mixing and color wheel and all that kind of stuff, and I do too, because it's one of those important basics. But one of the things I always tell people and I always tell my students is I say, you know, I probably had a color wheel sitting on my desk for three years. And I would use it every single time. And then suddenly I realized that I was reaching for it less and less and less because it had become a part of my brain because I reached for it every single time. And right. it's like, it's training wheels. And so again, in the doing, you kind of, you need it less because you get used to it. Right. And in my style of teaching too, a lot of times I'm teaching them color theory and, you know, color mixing and all that other stuff with the color wheel. And they have no clue that that's what I'm teaching them. <laughs> They'll, you know what I'm saying? Because that can be so, um, sometimes it can be such a dry subject. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's almost like, oh my gosh, now I got to think of that. And I got to look at these secondary and tertiary colors and, you know, it can be a little overwhelming. So as I'm teaching and sharing, you know, different colors, I'm just like, don't these colors look great together? You know, they really complement each other. So different ways like that to get them to understand that, you know, color without making it dry and boring. Yeah. I agree. I think that it's it's kind of like making children eat their vegetables a little bit, oh, which yes. is you, you have, first you kind of have to trick them until they're ready to say, okay, okay, this tastes good. I'm I'm, I'm in for it. Yes, I remember those days. <laughs> um, so I sort of interrupted your deco art journey. So tell me a little bit about what it is to be a deco art ambassador okay. and how that's different from being a helping artist. Okay. So an ambassador is a little bit more um, in depth as far as um, doing more shows, being called on to demo more, um, being asked for projects. Um, and so I am that along with the helping artist. But two years ago, I met um, Stan and Tom from Tom's in Marketing. And so, you know, we chit chatted and stuff at Creativation actually. And you know, they've seen my work and so they're like, oh, well, you know, why don't you maybe come up to the office, come up and see deco art, you know? And so I was like, okay, that sounds good. And actually what I went for, it was an interview. <laughs> it was an interview to be a creative director, but that's in Lexington, Kentucky. And I live in Georgia and my husband works for the government, even though he's retired military. So um, it wasn't something that I wanted to introduce moving that far away. 
um, and commuting back home. You know, we're empty nesters. Our kids are gone. But I just I just thought, you know, I don't want to introduce that. So I kind of feel like I have the best of both worlds right now. I get to work with DecoArt on product development, um, product testing, new ideas. I've created some products for them. Um, and so in education, I'm working on education videos for them. And so it's a it's a constant um, just that consultant give them my feedback and I'm really honest with my feedback. I told them up front if you don't want to know the truth, don't ask me. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you because that doesn't help you if I'm not honest with you about a product that's not great or a product that needs some tweaking or you know or you're missing this in your lineup and and so they've been it's it's been an, an amazing partnership. Um, so I'm not an employee of DecoArts. But again, I get to run my business and do my teaching and my art and then also get to work with such a fabulous company. That's exciting. And I have to say, as far as the feedback is concerned, I think that that is something uh, that's really important, not only mm -hmm. for companies to be able to hear what can be negative feedback about products and be open to it, because I think that's the only way that we improve is actually by, you know, listening and being open to things. But also, you know, personally about your art, it's always hard to hear feedback and criticism, but I do think that it can be useful. I know that one of the things you said earlier in the podcast is that you, um, you always feel like you try to come at things sort of as a beginner. Um, mm -hmm. you know, being interested and open and, and I've always, this is a terrible <laughs> reference, but I, ever since I saw the movie Avatar many years ago, there's this one line from it that has stuck with me in terms of learning in which, um, you know, through metaphor, one of the things that the Navi say is they say, you know, we can't deal with you people because you, you everybody, you all have a full cup. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing we can add to it. And this, this character says, no, no, I, my cup is empty. And I and I just mm -hmm. like that metaphor so much as the idea is can you how can you come to the table with a full cup because then you can't take anything away from anybody all you're doing is just you know spilling your cup all over everybody else and so <laughs> right. I, I love this notion of you know you come to the table with an empty cup so that's exciting to know that Deco Art is open to feedback and really listens to people who are working with the product. They are and I mean just again such a great company to to partner with and to see things come you know, from an idea. I was at a trade show, it was a distributor's trade show, and I made a comment about something I do by mixing a couple of DecoArt products. And the owner looked at me and said, what? And so he said, say that again. And so we had the products there on at the trade show. Um, and I kind of mixed it up and did this little concoction. And I said, oh, look how great this works. Within 15 minutes, he found me a canvas. I painted it on the canvas. He walked it around the show and asked people what they thought. And within probably the next 15 minutes, there was a name for the product, the attributes of the product, what it can do for artists from painters to pastels to pencils, you name it. And Chalky Gesso was created. So I would say probably in about 30 minutes. And it is a phenomenal product that's being sold like crazy. That's really so that's cool. exciting. So what? So I'm familiar with gesso and I'm familiar with chalk. So what is chalky gesso, which I'm not <laughs> familiar with? Well, it's kind of a combination of the two. So gesso in Italian means uh, chalk is part of that of gesso. So there are properties of like the chalk paint, the chalky finish paint that you paint furniture and fabric and everything else with um, and a gesso. Interesting. So, 
Yeah. So it makes an but excellent primer, a truly matte, matte, matte primer for a lot of things. Yes, an ultra matte suede and this finish on it is gorgeous. And I love to paint in oils too. And when you paint oils on that, it just it just moves and soaks in and is just a yummy, yummy product. Very cool. I have to tell you, the Deco Art makes my very favorite fabric paint. Yes. I love yes. their fabric paints. My only complaint is all the tubes I have are really tiny. <laughs> I don't know if they sell it in bigger <laughs> tubes, but everything I have seems to be the tiniest tube ever, and I run out really fast. Yes, and that's why last year they, they went to a two-ounce bottle. Oh, so I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, there was a demand for it. It is it is by far the best fabric paint on the market. So they came out with glitters, metallics, and um, again, switched it from a one ounce bottle. That was kind of a, a stiff plastic bottle. Oh my gosh, um, you can never get the bottom of never. the bottle out. I'm always yeah. unscrewing the cap and smacking it around. Oops. Yes, so they were given a lot of feedback and so they went to two ounce bottles last year. That's exciting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to let my fingers do some shopping tonight, I think. Well, I just might have to hook you up. Oh, even better. <laughs> so beyond the chalky gesso, what is your favorite? Like if you had to pick a Deco Art product that was like, this is a great product, what would it be? Okay, so I have said this to Stan Clifford, the owner, many times that if they get rid of this product, I just might have to reevaluate if I can work with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I love this product. The Deco Art Media Line is hands down one of my favorites. I love to paint with it. The fluid acrylics are highly pigmented, intense colors, just gorgeous. And I paint in layers anyway. So when you layer those colors on and then just the different mediums, the modeling paste and texture sand and all the fun mediums and stuff that you can use, I just, I'm a huge, huge fan of those. So is the deco art media line more like a fine art painting line, like some like equivalent it, it, to the products you'd expect to see from like Golden and stuff like that? Absolutely. In fact, they they are very much comparable. Um, underneath on their website, they've started listing the media line, and then they also have a line of traditions, which is um, an artist quality acrylic. I think a lot of times because they are a craft company, people don't know that. Some of the products they make are right up there with the fine art products being made. So I was going to say, line, I think of Deco Art completely as a craft company. Right. So their media line, total fine art. But you, I mean, mixed media, journaling, art journaling. Um, on my project, just on my projects on wood, I was on the magazine, the cover of uh, Decorative Painter magazine with this project. And I got an email one day and Stan Clifford said, um, you use the media line on this? And I said, absolutely. And he goes, I haven't seen it used this way. And I said, it is a phenomenal product. Very cool. So, so tell me about Decorative Painter Magazine. I don't know that at all. Okay. And I assume, uh, can you tell people who are unfamiliar, what is decorative painting as opposed to just painting? Um, okay, so... First on the magazine, the Decorative Painter is a magazine that comes out for members that are um, members of the Society of Decorative Painters. <laughs> and unfortunately, the magazine is only available to those people that are members. Um, it's a great magazine that comes out um, quarterly. And in um, May of every year, they usually have a convention. Last year was their last. Um, and every year, they usually have a convention artist that comes in and teaches the grand opening um program you know class 
and opens the show. And this was their 47th. Last year was their 47th year. Um, and I'm a relatively new member. I think I joined in 2015. And last year I was their conference artist. Wow. So I got to close out the show of them um, not doing them any longer. They're, they've gone to smaller retreats just due to um, membership age and, and travel and stuff like that. So um, decorative painting, that's a tricky one, Julie, because I have to tell you, I'm one of those that I don't like to follow the rules. Um, and your traditional tall paint painters and decorative painters were taught very um, kind of old techniques of base coat, highlight, shade, base coat, highlight, shade, and everything pretty much was that. And I'm more of a, I like to put it on my brush and just mush it around or, you know, and, I, and I'll use those techniques when I'm teaching. I was like, okay, you're just going to kind of mush your brush around and make that happen right there. Um, so I'm not one that really follows the, the technique traditional of decorative painting, but decorative painting is, um, well, like what you saw me do with the pumpkin, you know, it's just, it's layering it's um, making things fun and it really has kind of changed in the last i'd say three years with decorative paint painters seeing the use um, of stencils before a stencil design in a background was hand painted mm. and oh my gosh no thank you i if i can do it in five seconds with a stencil i'm all over that um but just design elements and stuff painstakingly had to be painted out now can be um, done so much easier with the use of stamps and stencils um and so well speaking of stencils i did notice on your um website something about um m2 stencils or m squared yes. stencils yes Tell so us about i'm that. Okay, so I was toying with the idea of kind of jumping in the stencil game, getting a laser cutter and all that. And I have several machines that will do that for me. Um, but I was going to do heavy duty and just start making my own stencils. And so a lot of my things in my art journey that have kind of been like the things that are monumental or um, things that have stood this, you know, the, what is it? Uh, the, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Anyway, the things that have worked out well have usually come to me in a dream. So I had this dream because I have a friend in the decorative painting industry that um, makes stencils or has a stencil line. And I thought, okay, woke up that morning, had this dream about doing a whole stencil line with her. It was called M Square. Her name is Tracy Moreau. My name is McTeer. So it's M Squared. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. And so I sketched out a bunch of designs and she had already had her own designs and, you know, works with a company. She's a Canadian artist. And so I had it, you know, started having some of my stencils made with her. That's very cool. And do you use your stencils uh, exclusively or are you still using other people's stencils? How are, what oh, are you feeling about that? I am all over everybody's stencils. In <laughs> fact, I just got some of Kat Kerr's stencils the other day and can't wait to use those. No, I'm, I'm, I don't just use mine exclusively. I love to jump around and use different artists. I love yours on um, oh Crafters gosh. Workshop. Yes, Crafters Workshop. And um, I order from them all the time and love their products and um, love Jamie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of all over. I'm not one that just is exclusive because, you know, it's mine. I have to use just that. Very cool. So poking around your website, <laughs> I'm going to ask you about a couple <laughs> other things that I saw. Um, one of them is something called We Three Friends. Yes. 
Will you tell me about that? Absolutely. So again, um, doing the trade shows, going to different events um, for the painting trade shows that, you know, we teach classes and then there's like three or four days for a trade show. So um, a couple of girlfriends and I, Tracy Moreau and Deb Antonick, decided that we were going to start um, doing the shows together just to kind of have somebody to go in on the booth with you. The booth fees can be expensive and if you're teaching classes, somebody else can be in the booth. And um, so we started We Three Friends a couple of years ago and every year we come out with a couple of different packets that that are instructional packets that people can buy so that, you know, they get them and then they can paint. So in the packet, is it the supplies that they need plus the instructions or what, what do they get in a packet? So in a packet, it's step by, so my packets, what I do um, is step-by-step -step pictures and step-by-step -step instructions on how to paint a design. So similar to like the pumpkin that I did for Make It Artsy, um, everything from, you know, base coating the wood to stenciling the design on to transferring the pattern to painting in the base coat um, and layering on the colors. It's all mapped out step by step. And I'm really wordy if that hasn't come across yet, <laughs> but um, I'm pretty chatty. And so I grew up in Southern California and moved to Tennessee when I was in um, seventh grade. So I always tell people I speak in a complete run on sentence and sometimes a Southern twang comes out. So um, but, you know, I'm really explicit on everything they need to know, how to hold the brush, if, you know, if you're getting this, and also ways to fix it, because sometimes I think that's the greatest lesson. You know, if you mess something up and you don't know how to fix it, yeah, then. Um, 100%. You know. That is, because that's the thing that makes you, I always tell people, when I teach, I try to teach you, it's the old, like, don't give a man a fish, teach him how to fish because yeah. I try to give you like the logic behind it, the reason behind it, because I think when people don't understand, you know, how to deal with the problem, then it's like they're just, they're stuck because they can't go back through the list of steps again. You know what I mean? Right. And that usually paralyzes, or I always say that's usually the project that, you know, goes into the unfinished pile, you know, and, and isn't touched. But if I can show you how to fix it, and sometimes it's taking a palette knife with gesso and just skimming the surface, you know, and then adding something else. So I agree. always there a way are, to fix there it. There are a lot of ways to fix it. And actually, I recently did a project. Um, the There's this U.S. Postal Service art project, which has nothing to do with the Postal Service, except that um, this woman started this project as a way of wanting to support the Postal Service by having artists mail things through the U.S. mail, right, back and forth to each other. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so what it was is you mail something, un an unfinished piece of work to another artist and then they finish it. And the really interesting thing about getting somebody else's unfinished work of art is A, it's incredibly like, ooh, I don't wanna mess up their work. But then once you get over it, it's almost like fixing a piece of work of yours that mm -hmm. just doesn't work for you, you know? Because you start going to all those different techniques we've used a million times. You cut it up, you cover it up, you alter it, you, you know, hide parts of it, you redact it, you. And so that was a really interesting experience for me because it sort of felt like um, doing that old thing about, okay, well, I have this thing. How do I fix it? Even though fix it might be the wrong way of putting it. But it's like, how do I make it mine? Right. Oh, I would love to do that with you. I think it's really cool. We should send each other a piece yeah. of unfinished work and see how it Absolutely. turns out. Absolutely. I would love that. Yeah, let's do that. I'm writing it down okay. right here that I'll remember to get your mailing address after this. I won't make you say it during the podcast. And we'll <laughs> make sure that we do it. Okay. Uh, 
So let's talk about, there's two other things in your bio that I kind of want to talk about, which is one, the dynasty brush thing, because I noticed that in your shop on your website, the dynasty brushes are makeup brushes. Well, so I don't sell the brushes on my website, but what I do have on my website are the makeup brushes. So uh, they make everything from the little soft brush that the um, crime investigators do for fingerprints. They're one of the, well, they are the last U.S. brush making company in the United States. Wow. They're in, they're in Glendale, New York. They make brushes for Ulta, Mac, um, Sephora, all the big makeup companies, um, L'Oreal, I mean, Revlon, you name it, they do. And so they make a ton of brushes for the makeup industry, um, a ton of brushes for the painting industry, everything from stencil brushes to, um, I mean, you name it, they make it. So for encaustic artists and um, for pastel and ink painters. And so I got hooked up with Dynasty at a trade show. And this is something that I've always prided myself on and what was really important when I started Sandy McTeer Designs. I wanted every single venture or company that I was involved with for there to be a relationship. It it wasn't, okay, what is this company gonna give me? What am I, you know, what are they gonna give me for free? What am I gonna get out of this? It really was, I wanted to build a relationship with these people. And so I think that's one great thing about, um, well, one of the greatest things about my relationship with DecoArt, but also with Dynasty is, I'm friends with these people, um, but I'm also, I can be very business too, which I have to be. And so like we were talking about opinions, I'm very straightforward and I'll give you my opinion, but um, they value my opinion because we have a relationship. And so it's genuine and I care about their company and I care about them and I'm proud to use their products. And so um, Dynasty, I've gone to their um, facility in Glendale, New York a couple of times. I got to make a paintbrush, which was super cool. Super um, cool. So cool. And then um, do some videos and some um, uh, just just fun things with them. We They, they have a charity there that um, does murals and stuff for like hospitals. And so I was there teaching in Long Island a class and they always look for volunteers. It's splashes of hope. And so I was teaching a class and I, I said to my friends at Dynasty, I said, you know, why don't we do this together? Let me have these painters that I've just spent three days with. And if they can give a little bit of time, you know, in the evening, then we can all go out there and paint and help them do these murals at this event they were having. And uh, they were super excited about that. And, and they're very generous and very sweet. And anytime I need something, Dynasty and DecoArt are always there for me. That's awesome. So then the last thing is chart pack. What is chart pack? Okay. So chart pack, I got hooked up with chart pack because I was using a lot of um, products and worked very closely with um, Martin F. Weber. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Martin F. Weber, but they do like permalba oils and uh, mission watercolors and like the easels you see at Michael's, the majority of them were made by Martin. Um, F. Weber. And so they sold their company a couple years ago to Chartpack. And Chartpack owns a bunch of different companies. Um, and one of them is Grumbacher. 
which I'm sure you've heard of. Yes, Grumbacher Oils. Yes, yeah. So, um, so I started working with them because I was working very closely again with Martin F. Weber and using their oils. And so um, got hooked up with them and already knew one of the guys that was there from another company. He left. And so um, love their product. And again, they're very generous and always willing to, you know, help me out with whatever I need, especially for my classes that I teach around the country. And um, because really it is, again, it's that relationship, me sharing their product and because I'm passionate about their products and also I'm passionate about what I do. So I have to say that when people ask about relationships with companies, I think it's really, really vital exactly what you're saying, which is it can't be about gimme, gimme, gimme kind of either way, which is to say it can't be that you feel very used by the company and they're constantly wanting stuff from you without giving you anything in return. And it can't be that you just want stuff from the company, you know without uh, giving anything in return and also without truly loving the product. And I feel like the company needs to really respect you and your work and you need to really respect the company. And I'll say my longest standing relationships, uh, you know, are probably with Crafters Workshop, who I've worked with for years. And I have a personal relationship with Jamie, who owns Crafters Workshop. And I, you know, with Brother, which I've had a long relationship with. And I think you know, if you don't genuinely love the product, it is deeply, it, not only is it insincere and like all sorts of other issues, but it is difficult Yes. to find yes. the will to spend that much time and energy and to truly convince people that it's a great product. So I think that's really important. And I, I don't know, what other advice would you give people who are interested in forming a relationship with a company or a manufacturer? Well, I, I get this asked all the time, believe it or not, because um, I have painter friends that have tried to work with companies and then they get frustrated and they're like, Sandy, I just don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And I said, well, the first thing is you're trying to make something happen. Um, I feel let it organically happen. If you want to work with a company, say DecoArt, use their products. And you and you, when you're passionate about those products and you're sharing those products and you're putting that out there and you're using their hashtags and you're putting it on social media, it, you get recognized. They see it. You know, it's noticed. Um, and if it's something that you're just like, okay, I'm constantly going to do this constant, but I'm not getting anything back. I'm not getting any feedback feedback back from them then maybe it's not the right company for you to be working with if if you're looking for that to happen like immediately. You know, I mean, yeah. I, it didn't happen immediately for me. I, I just use stuff and what I love, I share. And that has led to um, forming those relationships, you know. And so that's my biggest thing is just not to force it. And if you feel like you're doing a whole bunch of stuff for a company and you're not getting any kind of recognition, maybe reach out to somebody else in the company. You know, and say, oh, I just, you know, I do this work and I, I love this product. And then, you know, send them a couple pictures. And it's like, oh, my gosh, we haven't seen her work. You know, we love her work. Um, and and I don't know. It's just it's one of those things you can continue to go on and on and on and try and make it happen. Or you can just do it because you love doing it and it will happen. I think it's a little bit like dating, if I may. <laughs> Which um. I haven't done ever. I was going to say, I've probably dated more recently than you have. Um, But I think that there is this thing about like you, 
there you just need to not necessarily chase people who aren't interested in you like that that becomes a thing if someone's not interested like why are you chasing them they should want to be with you as much as you want to be with them and i think that's one of the important things about relationship and i feel like one of the things that's always helped me even going into negotiations with people is is either the the fact is either you want me at the price that I'm worth or you don't. At the same in a relationship, you would say either you want me, you know what I mean, with who I am or you don't. And there's it's not a negotiable issue. Like that is what it is. Right. Yes, totally agree. And, and you know the thing is, if you love that product, don't stop using that product just because it's not getting you something with that company. I'm I'm a big firm believer on that too. That you know the the product jumping just so that you can get something to work. Um, people see through that, and so again, if I stand up and I tell somebody in my class that I love this product, I genuinely love that product. Yeah. I will not say you know Dynasty just came out with a new line of brushes and they're absolutely gorgeous, but they're watercolor brushes. Now they know I'm not a watercolor artist, and I told them I said I will use them and I'll play around with them and test them. But I'm going to be honest with you. I am not a watercolor artist. It, it's a, a medium that I can, I understand it. It's just not my thing. And so I'm not going to put it out there that these are the best brushes on the market because as a watercolor artist, I am not. <laughs> so yeah. and that I, my integrity is everything. I'm not going to put out there that I love something or that I believe in something if I don't. So I think that's really important because in this, I mean, not only just in this industry, but in general, what you have is your reputation. And if you become a person who will promote anything, then how can people believe what you say? My mother, who's been very silent on this entire she podcast. Has. I know. I've been just, absorbing the wisdom. It's so <laughs> unusual if I knew how to make her this quiet all the time. Anyway, just kidding. So what I was given her an opportunity to talk, have I? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I was going to say is my mom has always said, and I think that, uh, this is something that sort of lines up exactly, uh, with what you're saying, or why am I putting words in your mouth, mom? Would you have anything to add? Well, I'm curious. What have I always said? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say like one of the things that you have, uh, sort of always said in terms of, um, thinking of, your reputation and all that kind of stuff and being like honest about it and all that kind of stuff is you you've always whenever I've come to you with a problem and I've been like trying to work it out and trying to figure it out you've always been the person who when I'm trying to be a people pleaser has just said no stop you know really think about what you want out of this and not always you know what other people or somebody's gonna be mad at you or something like that okay I have been thinking actually while you were talking that of a couple of things. One is that I think that the businesses that Sandy works with, and I think this is true about the successful relationships you have in business, these businesses view the artists as an adjunct of their business. They view your ideas and your input as part of their business planning. They don't see you as like, an employee who's just going to use their stuff and make what they want you to make. And I think that's for you, for the two of you, this is what works really well is because you, you are creative, smart women who have a lot of ideas and they respect your expertise and your work. And I think that's important for people to think about not just 
in hooking up with a company, but why spend any time in your day relating to people who don't feel that way about you and your work? You know, why waste your time with people who are only going to view you in a kind of mechanistic way? So I, I find you and Sandy actually have a lot in common. And what I was going to ask Sandy is whether she has a background in business or whether she taught herself along the way how to how to negotiate what how to set her rates what she you know how to figure out what she's worth how to build her business because i see that in addition to being very very good creatively she's obviously got a head for business well thank you so um yes when i went to college i actually was doing business law Okay. And that was so boring, but my professor thought I would be phenomenal at it and kept pushing. And I, I really was, I loved marketing. I just have loved putting things together and watching it come together. And, um, I don't know, just that creative part. And, and so I was a marketing major and my husband and I met and married in Okinawa, Japan. My dad was stationed there. And so about, uh, I would say six months before I was to graduate, we moved from Okinawa and I was pregnant with my, my first son. So I never finished my marketing degree, but I think I just soaked up all that information um, and have definitely used it in my uh, creative business because you do have to be, you have to have some business sense and be a little savvy or you will get run over. And I've been run over um, because sometimes, like Julie mentioned earlier about being a people pleaser, I'm a people pleaser. But um, in the last probably four years, maybe it's into my 50s, um, I've been able to look more at with a different uh, mindset and that it is business. And sometimes you have to separate um your feelings and your emotions from that and make a, a, you know, a substantial business decision. And so that really has helped me um, like you with your wisdom there, which you just shared, which was um, so eloquently put. My husband is my one, um, Julie, that might, he'll come to me and say, you know, you really need to consider what you're getting out of this. So you, this is what you're bringing to the table. Don't sell yourself short. Um, and I used to, and early on in my business, I definitely did because I thought, um, I don't know, maybe I didn't value what I brought to the table enough, yeah, but I certainly 100%, do. I'm with you. Yes. Certainly do now. And so, you know, it is nice having friends in the industry too, that are, that are in relationships with businesses and stuff to be kind of a sounding board or just, Oh, you know, what do you think about this? And I've done that with many of my friends. Um, that similarly work with companies, um, not just the same companies, but, you know, a lot of different other companies. And um, it just kind of gives you an idea of like, wow, you know, I really, I never thought about that, but I need to think about that in my business. And so I think just through that and um, having that background in marketing and business law a little bit, <laughs> um, that it really certainly has helped me. I think that's very important. The networking part is important. Talking yes. with people who understand uh, perhaps some things in business that you don't. And so you educate yourself. Reading, even though it's, you know, it sounds boring to sit down and read books about business, but actually you take out of it the gems that are going to work for you. I think 
just like anything else, you have to educate yourself. And if you're going to run a business, then you have to know what you're doing. Right. So I would say two things, which is one about getting run over. I think it has happened to all of us. And sometimes that's the reason that you figure uh, your stuff out, so to speak. Um, right. Is because you got run over because I think that's a natural thing that happens to everyone in the process. The other thing is I would say I am as much an entrepreneur as I am an artist. I Same. have yes. an art business and it is a business first in many, many ways. And I think that there sort of is this myth or this idea around creative people and artists in particular that you're kind of flighty and harebrained and like don't have your stuff together. But the truth is anybody who's an actually successful artist either has an incredible, you know, entrepreneurial spirit or they have somebody who's attached to them who's doing that kind of stuff for them. Right. Right. Oh, I totally agree. Now, on a totally jealous level, tell me about Japan. It's one of my dream destinations that I've never <laughs> been to. Oh, so, um, you know, like you mentioned very early on, my this is my 30th wedding anniversary. So, um, I my parents moved right after I graduated high school, like literally a month after I graduated high school and I was dating a guy and I said, I'm not going. And so they were like, OK, fine, you can stay here with your sister. Um, so we ended up becoming engaged and I just did not see myself staying in this town forever. And he was a hometown guy. He was not moving. Um, and I, you know, you just kind of changed directions. And I thought I really need to move. And my dad said. Um, and so my mom, my dad, and my younger sister, um, were there and I flew over four days before my 21st birthday. Enrolled back in college, started a job. Absolutely love Okinawa. It's just a gorgeous country and the people are just amazing. Um, and so I was there for maybe a year and I met my husband on a blind date on April 28th and we legally got married on July 30th. Wow. <laughs> and I... Um, went and yes i mean it was just it happened so fast but at the minute i met him at a sushi bar first off i had never been on a blind date i had never gone out with anybody in the air force my dad was a marine and so my friends called and said hey my friend you know my boyfriend's got a friend that's going to come to dinner with us tonight you want to come and i'm like okay well then i hung up the phone i'm like i'm going to a sushi bar and i don't eat fish and um he's in the air force you know <laughs> so but i knew immediately and he brought it there were two friends actually and so I went and I sat right next to my now husband, not knowing which one was which, who was who was I supposed to be on the date with. And I was so drawn to him and it was just instant. I knew, I knew within probably a couple of days that this was my person. And the funny thing is in third grade, so starting third grade all the way up till probably I was in high school, my mom reminded me, she said, she said, you used to always tell me that your Mr. Wright didn't live in the United States. Wow. And I said, I said, why? You know, I, I don't remember that. And she goes, yeah, you know, remember. And I was like, oh, I do remember having that conversation. And a lot of times I say, like, he lived in Ethiopia or he lived in Korea or he lived in, you know, Jamaica or, you know, he just lived somewhere other than the United States. And so the first time my mom met him, she said she knew, too. She said, this is your person. That's so that was so cool. romantic. Yeah. So but because the Air Force, we lived in Okinawa, Japan, and we got to visit beautiful countries like Korea and um 
Oh gosh, we lived in Iceland for two years. We lived in England for six years. We got to see all of Europe. So amazing. Yes, two of my boys were born in Iceland and um, and then the other one was born here in Georgia. <laughs> so that's very, sounds like you're very a cool. fast decision maker. Oh, yes. Which probably comes into your creativity, too. Yes. yes. You don't sit and dither for days about whether you should go here or there on the page. No, I think that's that traveler in me, too. I love new things. I love to travel. I love different cultures. Um, for the past five years, I've been invited to teach in Taiwan. And the first year I went, I went with Martin F. Weber, uh, well, as a representative for them to go over and teach. And it was for two weeks and the classes were 90 minutes, um, ages from probably six to 88 and three classes a day. And everyone was like, you're gonna go by yourself? And I'm like, sure, I'm gonna go by myself. <laughs> so um, did that. and. And then the next year they they invited me they didn't even go through the company they just contacted me directly and they said can you come twice next year and i'm like absolutely and then the year after that we went to china to one of their stores in china we went to beijing and shanghai so i got to teach there and um i just i feel so blessed and so fortunate that my business and my brushes and my relationships continue to take me around the world because it is probably the one thing i miss um since my husband has retired from the air force is is the traveling. Oh my gosh, I miss traveling so much because of COVID. Like I just, yes. I wanna go places yes. and see things and meet people and eat food that's weird and interesting and different <laughs> than I'm used to. I wanna do all those yes. things. Yeah, so, so I can't tell you how excited I was to come up there and paint with you <laughs> uh, in July. I mean, and, and I'll just be 100% honest, I wasn't their first choice. <laughs> Somebody else was supposed to come and he couldn't fly. He wasn't going to fly. And so when they called me, that's been another thing in my business, too. Like your mom just kind of touched on. Uh, I've said yes a lot. Mm, and that's I, important. I've taken opportunities sometimes to my husband's sugar and he's just like, okay, you know, you're overscheduling yourself, but I have a hard time if I know it's a good opportunity um, or something that really could be an adventure and fun. I have a hard time saying no to it. And a lot of times I'll say yes. And then I start freaking out that, oh crap, now I got to do something about it. <laughs> or, you know, I've got to create something for that. I got to make that special. And so when they asked me about doing Make It Artsy at first, I'm like, sure, hundred percent. And then I got the phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I've done TV before, but at the same time, I'm going to be with Julie. I mean, hello. <laughs> and so wow. I, I was a little intimidated. I thought I, I want to blow her socks off, you know, <laughs> well, you not never... to mention the lure of going to Cleveland. Well, I was going to say, you never would have guessed because you were fantastic, totally natural and easy, which was awesome. Well, thank you. Well, let's talk about, speaking, it's kind of TV adjacent and it's definitely pandemic adjacent, which is I know that because we don't have conventions and all that other stuff, you've pivoted a lot of your teaching over to Zoom. Yes, yes. So, so tell me about thing, that. Yeah. Okay, so funny thing, I've had Zoom for probably four years um, I have a, a really good friend that's an artist that teaches classes and she's done it on the Zoom platform for at least four or five years. And it just wasn't my thing. It just did not, it didn't grab me because I'm, I want to be with people. So um, like this year I had 22 trips and between March and July, I had 11 of those trips. So all those trips 
to Spain to teach <laughs> um, were canceled. And I, you know, I thought, do I really want to jump on this online teaching? And everyone kept saying, do it, do it, do it. I mean, just think how much money you can make. And you're not making any money because you're not traveling and da 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 da. And that's never been money is important, but it's not my, it's not the end all be all. It will come. And if I do something with the intention of making money, a lot of times it, I'm, I have my heart has to be into it. I want it to come across as genuine. I want people to understand that I really love what I do and I want to do this. And I just was not there with the whole online platform thing yet. So I didn't want to come across as disingenuous. I wanted people to see it as, okay, she's, she's ready to do this, you know? And so I put it off and put it off. And I really thought about it from March to about June and I was supposed to do another event in Ohio, funny enough, in um, July and or no, in August. And because of the pandemic, she said, would you be willing to do it on Zoom? And I'm like, oh, OK, I'll do it. So a three day event and in her studio that she owns, she has a scrapbook, paper, painting company studio in Ohio. She could fit 28 in um each of you know each of our classes so we would do three classes for three days um and so six classes total so she said would you be willing to do zoom and we'll look into it and we'll chat and let's make this happen and you know without hesitation i said yes and so then at that moment i knew okay i'm ready to do this because again it was one of those it i didn't have to think about it it was it was instantaneous and so we had our event and the most uh, one of my class, I had 95 in my class for my first Zoom class ever. <laughs> so I'm a little overwhelmed that I have this many people to teach. But um, the first class was a little scary because you don't hear anything because everyone's muted. Um, and then the second class, I'm like, oh, I can get used to this. And the third class, I did art journaling, which I love. And so, um, yeah, so I, my business has pivoted to online and I'm doing Zoom classes online, Zooming, uh, Zooming events with um, different artists and I kind of caught the Zoom bug. So I'm a baby Zoomer still because I'm still new, <laughs> but I'm I'm excited about this new platform because, um, again, I do love to connect and I love to teach um, and I love to share what I know and I love to be silly and um, you know, I get to do that now from here. So yeah, I would say there's that there is nothing like teaching in person 100%, but zoom comes surprisingly close to me. Like, you know, the fact that I have all my supplies and I don't have to pack them up is awesome. The fact that people have all their supplies and don't have to pack them up is awesome. That there's no like space issues that people can kind of a little bit work at their own pace because I don't know about you, but I record my zoom classes so people can always yes. go back and mm -hmm. I think like that adds all sorts of value that you would never have. Like when I take an in-person class, I'm constantly scribbling notes. Whereas you don't really have to when you know you're going to get the recording, you know. And I, I've now taken some Zoom classes and I've taught some Zoom classes. And I have to say, I sort of feel like post-pandemic, I don't want to stop with the Zooms because there is something so wonderful about, you know, there's a woman from Australia in one of my classes this week. And like, I'm not going back to Australia anytime soon. So right. that was awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? To be able to connect right. that way. Right. Right. We had someone in our, from Australia in our classes as well. And, and um, yeah, so it was just amazing that so many people, I've been begged for years to go to Canada and teach from this one lady. 
um, shop and events that she puts on. And it just has never worked into my schedule. But I taught Friday and six of the people were from Canada. And I thought, how cool is this? You know, that we can, there's no borders. Um, and I think even when things get back to normal and I can travel because I want to travel, I still will incorporate this into my teaching schedule. Yes. I think it's like learning any new skill, which is, it's like you don't, you sort of incorporate it into what you're doing now. It just becomes a part yes. of the whole thing. Right. Bring just another with you. your business. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Don't you also find that the students are getting used to Zoom now? So there's a whole lot less of your mic is muted. Right. And you, know, <laughs> you have to show me your paper. It, it, it becomes just another thing that everybody knows how to do. Yes, right. and, but it also gets back to some learning style things, which is I know I've I'm loving the Zoom learning, but I have found some people who don't because either they have a their household isn't set up in a way that they can actually be private. And so they have constant distractions. Do you know, some of these very open plan houses are kind of like that. And so mm -hmm. it's like they have trouble because it's a headset or somebody's running through or other people are, you know, watching what's happening or there are people for whom like going to another place to take a class is a fine excuse because you disappear for the day. But if your family partner, whoever is, you know, sees you sitting there for four hours, then then it's a problem because they want <laughs> stuff from you. So, I mean, I think and it's hard there. It, and that's why you have to kind of do it all, because, again, people have different needs. Right. And I think part of the game changer, like you mentioned, Julie, is the recording, you know, so the, so they have those distractions or they know they have an appointment or the dog keeps barking or, you know, the kids are all over. So, you know, just I always stress that there's a recording. You can go back and watch it. If you want to sit here and watch me create and do the whole class and then go back after you've watched it and you get the recording link, then you can create. And I always offer a lot of support afterwards. So with mine, I'm like, you have my email address, you have my phone number if you want to FaceTime, if you want to get on a Zoom for about 10 minutes, um, especially in larger classes. I don't want anyone to feel like it's kind of a one and done. Um, so, you know, you've paid this money and you've done this class. And if I'm there in person, that, that was another one of my things that I was a little like, oh, you know, you can read a room. And if you know Susie's sitting in the back and she's struggling, you can go back and you can help her or you can kind of give her, you know, a little bit of whether it's holding her brush or, you know, too much paint on her brush or whatever. Well, you, that's hard to see on Zoom. Um, so that's another reason why I just offer that extended support. Like, you know, email me a picture of what you created. And if you're struggling in an area or, you know, I will critique it because sometimes I've found two on Zoom. They don't want to hold it up. Just just a couple that are, uh, I think, a little like intimidated to hold theirs up or maybe they don't think they're that that good or that theirs isn't going to be as good as everybody else's and I'm like just email me a picture I will email you back immediately and let you know you know what you could tweak or you know if you need to tweak nothing so well and there's also a whole bunch of people who either don't have access to good internet or don't have you know the proper computer equipment to do this so right. you miss all those people if you only teach on zoom right I agree and as soon as we can, I'm traveling. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, well, it looks like it's actually, believe it or not, time for us to wrap up. So if people are looking for your Zoom classes and generally to find you online, Sandy, where can they do that? So on my website, sandymcteardesigns.com and right on the front page, there's a Zoom link. All you need to do is click on that. 
Um, and then I have a tab that's like seminars and conventions, and those won't be happening anytime soon, but they can look on there for um, any of my travel schedule. And then Sandy McTeer Designs on Facebook and Sandy McTeer on Instagram. Very cool. And make it artsy in October. <laughs> exactly. Everybody should tune into that. Yes. Uh, and mom, if anybody wants to find you, where can they look? Good luck. It <laughs> <laughs> seems fair. Um, as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. And we'd love to hear from you. So please send us an email or leave a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on Facebook or Instagram or just email a friend because all of that helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Mm-hmm.